You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Part of why I have Ahmaud Aubrey and Central Park Karen and George Floyd and all of those things in my bio is because those things left me feeling so helpless. I couldn't do something because I was too small. And then I realized that, wait, I have things that are within my control and my power that I can do to make it better. What can happen when we take the time to actually talk about the challenges that we're experiencing at work, the way that we're feeling, the things that we're experiencing, and ways that we can do it differently? When we share with each other, magic can happen. Let's talk about this and more today on Pause on the Play, where we are challenging you to reconsider your normal and to consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host, India Jackson, to get the dialogue going. So today, India and I are having a conversation with Damian Taylor that I couldn't have asked for more from it because of the fact that he is sharing with us his reason as to why he created his podcast, Professional Confession. And the entire purpose of it really is bringing to light the types of things that people experience at work that just aren't discussed. And so how do we ever get progress to happen? And how does anything ever get better if we don't know what's actually the problem, where the challenging things are happening? So being able to actually dig into that and, you know, what do we do with that? So some action steps in there, you know, we're not going to just give you talk. Here's some of what to do. So I'm ready for you to get into it without further ado. Hey, India. Hey. This is weird. This is like the fifth time I've talked to you today. I've been on episodes all day and either you were on them with me or I called you when I was done. So it feels weird <laughs> to say hey. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the listeners are like, this is the first time I'm hearing their voice today. <laughs> no, it's been all day. This is This has been a podcast sprint day, but I'm so excited for just the fact of like every conversation has had so much in it that I cannot wait to be able to 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 release to the listeners. Like it's just been amazing and I'm yes. humbled and overwhelmed at just how amazing all of the dialogue has been. So I'm like super excited about that. So that is absolutely propelling me through when I should probably be face flat on the floor right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, you've been congested all day. For those yes. of you listening, um, a little reminder that you can always let us know what episodes you're really enjoying so that we can bring back more of those types of topics and guests by leaving us a rating and review through pauseintheplay.com slash rate. A little plug there. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. (laughs) So the beauty of what we do is that we really do get an opportunity to come in contact with some amazing people. And I love how being in the podcasting space, you come in contact with people that are sometimes, you know, embarking on a new show or revamping their show and just being able to you know, witness the way that people are using the podcast medium to really bring attention to the conversations that need to be, you know, brought to the forefront. It's it's an amazing thing. And so I'm really excited today to have Damian Taylor on. You want to tell everybody about who he is, please? Absolutely. Well, Damian Taylor has spent the last 15 years applying data and technology to entertainment. Both analytical and creative, he brings a unique skill set that's in high demand for brands and media companies such as Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, Ma Shinema. He's going to tell me I probably botched that name. Ma Shinema. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> me too, and new form. This means he's spent his career observing and understanding the motivations that drive people's actions. After witnessing the Central Park Karen incident and murders of Ahmad Aubrey and George Floyd in 2020, he decided to use his company and skills to make a positive impact on the world. And can I just note, this is like the first time ever that we've seen someone explicitly mention names in their bio about the things that have happened in 2020 and mention a Karen as well. So yes. that. I was going to say, I'm going to just tell you like Central Park Karen. I'm like, oh, I'm here for that because that was what that exactly what that was. That is a full prototype that I need somebody to just like whack that joint right off of the assembly line floor. Like, please don't let that out ever again. Don't build no more of them. And thank you for honoring people by their names. So especially yeah. knowing some of the other very large names mentioned in the bio, like Warner Brothers and NBC. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I have to agree with that. Having them both in the same place. Behavior modeling people. Here's an example. Just saying. So without further ado, Damien, welcome to the show. Oh, my God. You guys have me in the back. I was like, don't laugh. Don't laugh. You, you Just be quiet. Let them talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I will... I will take it. Like we we hope that it's like, like like this is not playing. This is just us. This is just us. Which I love it. I love it. I mean, it, it, you just got to be real. Be yourself, right? Um, that's what makes it so awesome. So thank you both. Though I'm, I'm so excited to be on the show. Absolutely welcome. So before we hop in, um, I'd love for you to take a hot second and tell us a little bit about you. Damien the human because bios are awesome and bios also are just kind of there to give a little bit of like here's my credibility markers here's what I've done here's who I work with so like you're a whole person outside of all the things you do and the people you do it for so tell us about you wow um, a whole person imagine that uh, yeah <laughs> no. not three four not three four not three four right yeah no no we, we, we're over that one by far right um, right 
Yeah, no, I mean, outside of that, I, there's so many things that I love to do. I, music and photography are two of my, my passions. I used to sing for a while. Um, I've done photography for a lot of fashion magazines. Um, and that that's something that seems like it makes no sense with like, you're a data guy and you're a photographer for fashion magazines. What? <laughs> um, and of course, I, I have my family, so my wife and my son, and I love just family time. I mean, that's right there, a big part of everything. It, it seems mundane, but that's the most beautiful part of it is that it is mundane and you can totally enjoy it because it's ephemeral and not necessarily there forever. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think sometimes we can get wrapped up in a bio and we lose the humanity of someone. Exactly. And I, I mean, interestingly, that's how I, part of how I ended up running my own company was so that I can make sure that I could live my life fully, if that makes any sense, where I could actually experience the joy of being home and not working until eight o'clock and getting back. Oh, he's in bed already. I didn't get to see my son today. Well, I got to wake up at five to go to work tomorrow and not be able to enjoy those holidays with like your parents because they're not there forever either. Right. And I, I really wanted to be able to have that control and give work the place that it deserves, where it's a means to an end, but not the end for my life. So Part of the work that you do is you have a podcast called Professional Confessions, and I feel like it is very much related to what you just said. So could you share with us what is Professional Confessions podcast? Yeah, it's it's a podcast where we really try to break down a lot of the conversations, challenges that people have at work when it comes to diversity or even tough conversations, because a lot of times those conversations either don't happen or they go sideways because of emotions or shame or someone not feeling comfortable or safe in a space. And we wanted to create a place where those conversations could happen, but there's also something that's actionable, immediately actionable coming out of it. You don't have to wait for your company's culture to change. You don't have to wait for a new president, like something that you can do today. Um, part of why I have like Ahmaud Aubrey and Central Park Karen and George Floyd and all of those things in my bio is because those things left me feeling so helpless. And like, I couldn't do something because I was too small. And then I realized that, wait, I have things that are within my control and my power that I can do to make it better. And so I wanted to create a podcast that did that. So often I've heard podcasts about diversity or about workplace, and it, it focused on theory, but never, well, what can I do? How can I make this better. Um, and I, I wanted to be that guy who could actually help someone make it better versus just talking about it and in theory and not actually providing any help to make it better or any solutions. I'm so glad that you laid that out because it isn't often enough that things are kind of being given to you um, in the podcasting space and like, here's an actionable step. And, you know, I've heard uh, so many that are like, well, you know, here's your step of the day. And it feels so prescriptive. It feels so um, kind of premeditated. And when we're digging into things that are not textbook, that are not neatly put into a formula of this plus this equals this, it has to be approached from a, a very humanistic point that really reminds people that this is not about, hey, if you do this thing, this is what's going to happen. But here's some things that you can consider for you. Here are some ways that you can do it differently. And here's some ways that you can also kind of consider yourself that maybe wasn't considered otherwise. Yeah. And I think to help with that, the, the format we chose is we have people who submit anonymous 
confessions to us. This is something that really happened to me at work. This is something that really happened to my husband or my friend at work. Um, so then they don't have to fear the repercussions of it because no one knows who they are. But at the same time, it's a real scenario that people are experiencing. And if that one person in their corporate environment is experiencing it, the likelihood of someone else having experienced it or something similar is pretty high. And so being able to speak to real world situations with real world implications is more powerful than me making up a scenario and hoping that you can identify with it. Ooh, I, the the technical person in me just wants to geek out about what that process even looks like of submitting those confessions and um, then being able to be a part of the podcast. Yeah. So the we have two ways. We have people who call in and we have a Google voice number and they'll call and leave a message or they'll send me messages on LinkedIn. Some people I've worked with, some people I haven't, people who just randomly stumbled across it. And then there are two confessions in there that are actually personal experience for me. Um, and I haven't told which ones those are because I, I, again, want to protect the anonymity of the people who are involved, but they're actually personal stories that impacted my career and the way I saw the workplace. And so in doing that, what I usually do is we'll get those confessions and one, I need to have just enough of the story to understand what truly happened and who it is. But then I'll start doing a little research to find out on work blogs, on Glassdoor, wherever. Mm. Are there other people who are talking about this, who've had something similar? And sometimes what will happen is I will, if I see things that are very similar, but there might be a nuance in one that's different, we'll merge them into a singular confession um, so that we can address really the, the entirety of that scenario. Because sometimes one person's experience is just a sliver and the more common behavior is much bigger or much more egregious. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're representing that and doing a we're being true to the the workplace environment and what people may encounter so that longer term when we're done with the episodes, we can start building out a training course of these are the types of scenarios you might see understanding that different people come from different perspectives and the discrimination or the challenges you might face as an Asian woman is different than what you might face as a Latino male versus being a white male, right? So those are all very different and understanding then how can we build empathy across those to understand that we all have our cross to bear, but there's something that we can all do to help each other carry that load. I love that. I love that. And with people being willing and vulnerable enough to kind of have these kinds of conversations and allowing them to be, um, you know, brought to light because the reality is, is I don't think that any of it is new. I think, you know, some of the, the details and the nuances may be different, but you know, kind of what's at the heart of these types of, of conversations and things needing to be brought up, it's not new. And so, you know, what do you think, you know, the impact would be, you know, from a collective standpoint with, you know, professional confessions really bringing these things to light? It's interesting because to your point, it's not new, but the people talking about it, the people who are experiencing it, didn't have or haven't traditionally had the visibility or the platform upon which to discuss it. Or if they did, they've been gaslit. No, you're not really feeling that. You're not really experiencing it. It's all in your head. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that the events of the last two years have really changed that and made it visible. And so what I've been seeing is just as a collective, the biggest impact I've seen and heard is really not across like getting 
white men involved and feeling compassionate because th that's happening. I'm starting to see that. But the biggest one is probably the more insidious part of, I think, what we've been seeing over the past however many decades is that the relationships between people of color or between marginalized groups was always contentious because there's a zero-sum game that everyone believes is there that really doesn't have to be there. And so you'll get, oh, no, 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 no. If we give it to the Latino guy or the, the Asian woman or whatever, then I don't get it. So I got to get mine. And so there's this always this competition of, you know, my version of marginalization is worse than yours. And what we started to see is some semblance of understanding across those groups that it's different. It's not worse. It's not better. It's different. And if we really want to make a difference, we need to create an environment in a world where none of us have to experience that. I think that's huge because like you said, that zero sum game is huge. And so often it does boil down to if I allow, you know, this particular thing to go to support people to look like you, then what does that mean for the people here that look like me? And the unfortunate truth is that it really does keep the individuals that are receiving the transgressions kind of at each other. And it keeps the people actually, you know, doling out the transgressions. You know, they don't have to deal with any of it because it really does put people in this place of what's going to happen if I don't, mine is worse. And it just creates this terrible environment that is, is simply perpetrated to keep those that could organize together and say, hey, this isn't about us. You're the one that's doing this. You're the one that needs to make the changes. It's to keep that type of organization and togetherness down. Yeah, I think it, so. There's one episode in particular that really stands out to me. It's an episode about this group of consultants. The primary, the person who submitted it is is black. He's a male, um, straight, and his experience as being a black male. Whenever he would present, he's super articulate and he's very poised. And instead of people paying attention to the intellect and the great work and the detail of his work. It was, oh my God, you speak so well. You're so articulate. I love how, and you're so charismatic. And so after a while, he finally is getting on a plane and he can't take it anymore. And he goes off and he tells his boss, who's a white woman, and his coworker, who's an Asian male. And he talks about all the feedback that he's been getting. And in his head, it's because he's black and he's the only one who has to deal with this. No one else does. And then his Asian coworker, who works with them all the time. They traveled together. They've done presentations together. Says, I get that as well. And it was sort of like this epiphany between the two of them. Like, wait a minute. Two people who think that we're you know, in our own boat and no one else can understand us. We have this common experience. And then his Asian colleague tells him, and I don't just get it when I'm presenting. I get it when I just say hello. And then people ask, where are you from? You speak English so well. Oh. And he, he realizes then that, oh, wait, so I'm getting it when I present, but I don't necessarily get the other half of it in just my daily interactions because they figure, oh, you speak white enough for me that I don't have to ask that. Sometimes it happens, but not really. But this is sort of his his Asian colleagues thing all the time. He's like, I was born in California. My parents, like I'm like fourth generation. I should know English. I don't know any other languages, right? And then their boss, who's a woman, points out, you guys get the language thing. I get the, oh, as a woman, it must be really hard for you to manage a, a group of men or Oh, you seem really smart. You have, you must be really hard on these guys because that's the only way a woman can get that far. And so they all started to to bond, realizing that there were these these social constructs and these social norms that were 
really getting to all of them and they were internalizing it and not vocalizing it and not trying to address it, but then thinking that they were on an island, right? Just swallow the bitter pill and deal with it. Um, and then they realize that they weren't. And so then they decide to support each other and how do they make that happen? And what can they do to prevent other people if they hear it happening? How can they interject and say, do you understand that when you say that it makes someone feel like X? Um, I love that story because it not only showed that there is commonality where people tend to think there isn't any, but sometimes the biggest obstacle is just not letting anyone know or not talking about it. Starting the conversation. Exactly. Conversations are the cornerstone of change, of connection, of us figuring out what we can do to be a part of creating equity and simply making the world more of what we hope it can be that it just quite hasn't gotten there yet. However, when we in tandem learn, unlearn, and support one another, this is where the magic can happen. Pause on the play of the community can get you there. So it's a space of people that are seeking to be a change in the world that they want to see. They want to learn. They want to figure out how things can be done differently. But it's the conversations with one another that provide accountability. They provide questions and prompts that remind you to reconsider your normal and to know that you can be a part of doing things differently and being able to actually create the types of outcomes that we all hope more people have access to. In order to join today, come on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community. The interesting thing that, that I'm wondering is that exchange between these three individuals that sit at these different intersections of not being a white man, which if we're honest is, you know, kind of considered the top of the hierarchy. They all have something that they're encountering. And again, this is not about whose is better or whose is worse, but they're all encountering some type of assumption and judgment about who they are, how they are, and why they must be doing what they're doing because they couldn't simply be doing it because they're good at it. And that dialogue only happened because one of them felt judged and and felt you know an, an offense to what was being being said to them and then at that point everybody is like but wait i feel things too and that it's powerful when that happens and that we're able to witness it but i can't help but wonder what do you think can be done to foster better engagement beforehand. So we don't have to wait until someone is, you know, pissed Fat off and up. fired up to have to tell you <laughs> this, is, this is what has happened. Yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Because every situation is so nuanced. But this is why on the on the show, I bring in experts who are by far smarter than I am and have experience in the various areas that we're talking about. Um, and one of them was really interesting. She pointed out that as marginalized communities, we tend to assume that if you're an ally, you're a white ally or any sort of ally, right? You know what to do, um, that you know what your job is supposed to be and how you're supposed to help mitigate this situation. And that's not always the case. Um, and she had given a couple examples of how there were people who were really just, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know what you need. And I'm afraid to ask because I don't want you to feel like I'm just doing it because of your color. I'm doing it because I really sincerely want to see you succeed. And it was the 
the understanding and the permission, giving yourself the permission to ask for what you need. And in American culture, that's really hard. It's 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 very difficult because we have this perception that it, it puts you at a weakened position, right? You're you're not in control if you're asking for something. It's a handout. It's charity. But in reality, if you think about the most successful business people, the most successful salespeople, those are the people who just ask for what they need. They're not worried about your feelings or perceptions of them. If you say no, that's fine. They go to the next person. Um, and so it's that building that courage to ask for what you need and saying, if you see this, could you do this for me? And if they say no, great, and you can go to someone else. But that's a really it's easier said than done. It's a hard thing to do. I, I mean, I struggle with it. The The interesting thing about what you're saying, and I want to hear, India, your thoughts on this, is that I'm 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 hearing this kind of almost this tension between I'm an island, I don't need help, I'm self-made, I did this all on my own, it's all based on meritocracy, I am the best. And then this leaving behind of, you know, no individual left behind, you know, this is a community effort, we all bring different strengths to the table, you know, we work as a unit. And you know, there's this weird space of people not being quite sure of really which one is is desired and which one is to be vilified, which is, you know, I stand alone and I stand with many or in a without the ableist language, of course, but I am here with many or I am here alone. Mm hmm. Yeah, I hear that fight between um, the rhetoric that we are individuals and we should really embrace that and honor our individuality. And then also we're a collective and a community. And I think that people in general may have a hard time seeing that it's both. You can be an individual and yet you are still a human. So you're still a part of humankind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm wondering how, how much ultimately that maybe even, you know, can play into it. But the reality is, is that we're all trying to figure out, you know, on a human level, what is going to be more beneficial for everyone as a whole. And I think part of what needs to happen is obviously being less fearful to have these types of conversation with each other. But when we are looking at it from um, this tangible place and knowing that there is actual, you know, hard data and about what's happening, you know, how is it that we can kind of take that and make some necessary changes that mm -hmm. is going to impact the actual company culture? of the workplace. Cause Lord knows workplaces need company culture help right now. <laughs> yes, for sure. I mean, it's, so I joined a collective, we're called the multicultural insights collective of, of business owners, mostly in data and insights. And that's exactly what we're, we're doing. It's something that immediately after George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, all of those things, we came together. That was one of the areas where I was like, I'm not going to go out and protest in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sorry. It's just not my thing. Like, I, I have a family, like I'm not going to do it. Somebody can do it. It's not me. But what I can do is see if I can influence the places where the money is, where people spend a lot of time, right? Where the people have the ability to influence in ways that I don't as an individual. So we built this collective to do research around the language of diversity, knowing that people are, are talking about it, but sometimes talking past each other. Because I'll say one thing and you'll say the same thing. It means something totally different. Just the word diversity. 
some people say it and they mean just including women. Some people say it and they mean everybody. Some people say it and they mean something else. And so we wanted to really be able to help companies understand how to talk about it. How do you build these diverse programs? How do you do these trainings such that you can address the fact that everyone is coming from a different perspective? You can't have your bias training go, look, we solved it. Well, my bias might not be one of the, it might be one of the ones you're talking about, but it may not play out the same way in the workplace as what you're saying. So let's come from the perspective of where are people coming from and then build the training around that. It, it seems hard, but um, it's actually not as hard as you would think um, when you try to start looking at where those differences happen. Like it's more generational. So you look at generation and race and then religion and sexual orientation, you can start to figure out, oh, your experience gave you these specific points of view because the world has been that way to you or whatever your your point of view is, right? And I think being able to play in the nuance, really stay in the gray versus always trying to make something binary is probably been the biggest challenge, even for companies. It's like, so are they male or female? Okay, that, that it's not just that simple. <laughs> are they black or white? Mm, it's not just that simple. Um, and I, I'll, I've given a couple companies this anecdote is that what does it mean to be mixed race? More than one race. Okay. So am I mixed race? And people will look at me, they're like, no, you're black. And I go, well, actually my dad's half white. So now am I mixed race? I'm a quarter white. And people have to think about it now. Is it how you've seen or is it what's genetically there? Or is it, it's not as simple as you think. I identify as black. I don't think of myself as mixed race, but technically on paper, when you look at my genetics, I am. Right? So it's, we have to be able to play in the gray and understand how those external factors shape the perceptions of individuals and be able to speak to them. So powerful. Um, yeah, race is something that comes up quite a bit in our conversations here. And I appreciate you for, for laying that out because there are so many people in our personal network and our business network that visually look one way and reality is there's a couple of other things underneath that but the public perception is to be black or white or to try to put people in a box and it is more complicated than that and i think that space where that complication so to speak is that intersection that's where there needs to be more understanding and more compassion for the fact that no one is that simply quantified. And the more that we can kind of get into that space, then it can be easier to acknowledge that, you know, we all have our intersectionality of our experiences and our um, families of origin and how we have been conditioned. And it is going to shape our perceptions. And there are places that we can, you know, unlearn, relearn, and just kind of figure out how to address things differently for a better collective outcome. Exactly. I, I feel like I should be like, all of that, but you put it all in a box and, and send it to me. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so that being said, I think that this is a conversation, obviously, that has so many, you know, additional pieces that could always be gone into. And at the same time, I think that it could be easy to get lost and give me all the ways 
that I can fix things and I won't let people get lost in the give me the pile on. I would love, Damien, for you to give the listeners one action that you'd like them to take after listening to this conversation so that this can fuel action on their end. I think if there's one action that people can take, it's probably the simplest action you could potentially take if you boil it down, but it's probably one of the most difficult and the thing that we tend to do least. And that is instead of honing in and looking for differences, the differences are always there and you can find them if you look, look for the commonalities. Um, it, it sounds really easy, but it it's really hard for people to do. So like that, that example we gave with the African-American and the Asian coworker and then their female boss, none of them looked for the commonalities between each other. They just assumed that it was them. So they could see the struggle within their group, but they never looked beyond. Um, I would say after this conversation is to sit down and really look at that person, that group who you feel is so diametrically opposed to you and identify where are you alike? Not focused on just like how far apart you are, but what are those things that you are have in common? What are those things that are similar? Because once you start down that road, you'll start to find a lot more than you thought there was. Such a great call to action there. I concur with all of that. I'm over here like <laughs> just pumping like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of that. I would love to know, because um, I feel like, Naturally, the action that comes to mind to me is for someone, if they have a story to share, to reach out to you and share their professional confession. So how can they do that? Yeah. Where can they find you? Really simple. You can go to professionalconfession.com and there's a form to submit. It's really simple. And if you want to call, you can use that same website to dial the phone number and leave us a message. Or you can go to our Facebook page or LinkedIn page. So um, for my company, not professional confession. So the company would be Prometheus Digital Studio and send a direct message and they'll all go to me and no one else sees them. I, I make sure of that I don't even let the editors really see who the people are. We make sure we strip all of the personal information, et cetera, from it before they get it. Um, yeah. So professionalconfession.com or you can go to prometheusdigitalstudio.com and send us a message. We'll make sure that everyone um, tuning in through the podcast or reading the show notes has access to those links. So make sure you be on the lookout for that in the episode description or the show notes. And thank you for sharing that that is confidential because I know one of the things that can keep people from taking actions is fear about things like that. Yeah, that was the whole reason for doing the show the way we did. I realized that a lot of what people did was afraid of being judged or afraid of retribution. And I wanted to take that away so we could actually have the conversation. If we could take away the fear, then let's have the honest conversation. That's amazing. I'm really glad that it exists because it's necessary. And I am so excited that you came and you shared um, why you started it and Again, I'm so excited for people to go and check it out and for bringing your wisdom and your insight and your humor, Damien. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> of course, of course. And I feel like I, I learned just listening to you, your, your show regularly. It's, I always pick up something new, like you did the 
African-American vernacular episode or like even yet the last episode of um, corporate identity versus corporate culture, all of those things. And I'm like, yes, yes, I, I'm getting something new. And so being able to leverage that as I, I do my podcast even and really bring that understanding to those conversations is it's great. And I, I think it shows how cross-pollination of ideas, of thought, of engagement is really a healthy thing. And it all just edifies us as a, as a whole, as a culture, as a people. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And hey, listeners, you already have your podcast app open. So make sure you go and follow the Professional Confession Podcast. Thank you again, Damien. Thank you, India. Thank you, Erica. One of the things that I never get tired of is knowing that people are creating things that are really making impact, that are making a change, creating the change we all want to see. And it's coming from a place of, I was impacted and I need to do something differently. How is it that I can use what my skill set is and what I have at my disposal to help to impact things, to help to bring to light things that are just sitting in the dark? And the fact that, you know, in the midst of all of the things that were happening in 2021 with, again, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, everything that happened in Central Park, everything that was happening with George Floyd, he found a way to utilize his skill set for change. And so, again, if you have not already done so, make sure that you go on over to wherever you take in your podcast goodness. <gasps> You're already here. That's right. So make sure that you follow professional confession so that you can make sure to catch up on all the new episodes as they show up. So as we all had this conversation today, this is just another example of how important it is to normalize the challenging things and make them a part of your everyday exchanges. This is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection. Together, we can continue getting more people to drop the veil so that they can challenge their thoughts, feelings, and actions. Reconsidering your normal is necessary. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. People think they know what to expect, but they haven't met you yet. Bi-weekly, India Jackson, our co-founder here at Pause on the Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values and amplify your influence by giving the Flaunt Your Fire podcast a follow today, right here where you take it, your podcast goodness. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?